Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. We're glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into this week's message. But before we do, I want to encourage you to connect with us online. You can follow us on Instagram or Facebook, and you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and this very podcast. We want to stay connected. So another great way to do that is be our guest on a Sunday. I'd love to invite you to be here. If you're local, come out. We want to meet you, get to know you, worship with you. We'd really, really enjoy your company. And without further ado, let's jump into this week's message. really really clear up front so if you're new here you need to come back next week because I think the pastor is going to be here and they are amazing people and they would love to get to know you so make sure we do that Um, I'm going to try really hard to hold the microphone like this I was told that I was way too quiet in the first service I tend to have a really soft voice um fairly recently I had a woman tell me that she could tell that because I had a soft voice I was a doormat And so I I just kind of smiled, but what I thought was, it is God's grace on you that I have this quiet voice. (laughs) That's the truth. Do not mistake quietness for weakness. I also thought, how many of you ride motorcycles? If you have a kid who's learning to ride, there's a thing you can put on the throttle. It's called a governor. You can kind of keep it a little limited so they don't have full power. They just don't kind of go wonky. I think God gave me a quiet voice because that's his version of governor for me. So I'm like, okay, all right. So I'm going to try to like break through that governor today. So we can just see what happens. How's that? All right. So this summer, we're in the middle of what we're calling the Summer on the Mount series. We're talking about one of the greatest passages in the New Testament. It's a series of stories and illustrations and parables that Jesus taught up on a mountain with thousands of people listening, and it became the pinnacle of his message and teaching for transforming the way that we are to live as human beings, the way we have to live with each other, how we live and love God. Um, This was his new way. It It was a vision of what humanity is supposed to look like. And in this Sermon on the Mount, he taught things like, he taught about generosity, forgiveness, restoring relationship with each other, making wise priorities, judging yourself before you judge others. He talked about prayer and fasting and how to make sure that whatever you do, the bottom line is that your heart is right, that you make sure that you don't do things just because you're ticking a box, but because your heart is aligned with him. So he taught all these things, and he concluded the sermon with these final closing words. Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. And it reads, Everyone then who hears these words of mine, the words that he had just spoken on the mount, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. 
And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, he will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to speak. And I pray, Lord, that as I speak, you give me clarity about what you want people to hear. And that whatever comes out of my mouth, be it right or be it wonky, you will speak to people's hearts individually. You will give them the message that they need to hear. Because, God, you're a God who doesn't come just for one, but you come for each one of us, and you want to minister to us and transform us and change us. And so I pray that in this moment that your presence fills this space, and we know you are with us, and we feel you surround us and change us. I thank you for your goodness. Amen. So how many people here are enjoying all the summer heat? A few. A few of you. Yeah? How many of you are ready for winter? A few of us. Good, good. More than in first service, for sure. All right. I like wet. I like heat, but I don't. I prefer cold. I'm definitely a cold. I was raised in Alaska, so I'm definitely a cold person. Um, probably in more ways than one. Um, but so I like the cold, and, but I can handle the heat. I just don't like it going on and on and on. And that's kind of what it does. It, does everybody, does anybody just really love it when it's always warm? Always, always nice? You guys are the beach people, right? Yes. Can't do it. I don't even like blue skies for like two, two, more than two days in a row. No. Give me some weather with spunk. Give me some personality, some weather with a little attitude. That's what I like. I like, I'm, what was the movie? Um, where there were, it was like Helen Hunt and it was like way back and they were like chasing tornadoes. Yes, tw Twister, did I hear that? Twisters, yeah. Yeah, they go cow and the cow's flying by. That's me. I got a little bit of that in me. Like I think that when my kids leave home, I might retire and um, be a storm chaser. Maybe. I, I just love storms. I have um, been in a lot of storms. I, um, I remember one time when we first got married, my husband and I were broke, so we'd camp all the time um, just because we call that a date, but really we just had no money go anywhere so we'd camp but one time we were camping and I remember being in in the the tent at night and the storm was just like wild outside and we had no idea what's going on and finally it died down and we were able to fall asleep and when we woke up in the morning there were trees down there were branches everywhere and we learned that a tornado had come through the campground and it didn't hit us thankfully but I loved every minute of it when we were living in Alaska we lived in this house that was on a um it was, a, it was on a hill, it was on a mountainside, and there was kind of a ravine up above us, and so the winds would come and shoot right down that, right onto our house. And we learned later that several people who had had the house before had lost roofs because of the angle of the wind. Matter of fact, there was about a half a mile away, there was a monitor for the wind, and it would regularly record gusts of up to 140 miles per hour. I loved it. Loved it. Like when we have windstorms here, it's all I can do not to go out in the pasture and just stand there. Except for the stupid tumbleweeds. I don't want to get smacked in the face. But other than that, I, I like a little bit of storm. I like a little bit of weather. But the worst storm that I can recall was when I was 13. 
When I was 13, um, I lived in Alaska, and I lived in a place called Sitka, Alaska. Anybody familiar with Sitka? A few, maybe. It's on Baranoff Island, and it's in the, it's right on the edge of the Gulf of Alaska. So, like, we're right there in open water. And we got crazy, crazy weather in the Gulf of Alaska. You know, and the East Coast, they name their storms. They call them Hurricane Katrina, Hurricane Rita, Superstorm Sandy. We call our storms in Alaska, we call them Tuesday. Because it was just always storming. There was always something. And, but this particular storm was different than others. This was, um, it was on a, I was 13. It was on Thanksgiving. We were on the ferry system. And the ferry system is um, a way to get around in the islands in Alaska. And these are huge ferries. They're not like the little ferries you would see like in, maybe in the Seattle area that go from little island to island. These are big. Um, the one that we were on was about 416 feet long. It had about 600 people. It carries about 200 cars. It has staterooms, restaurants, theater. But this is a big boat, right? It's a really big boat. And at the top, the top layer that the public can go on, right above it was the bridge. So with that top layer is the solarium. And that is where everybody would sit and we would just watch for whales and eagles and, you know, whatever might be out there. Um, it basically looks like when you go to the airport, and you're going to, you're waiting at your gate, and there's all those little chairs and the glass windows everywhere. That's what it looks like. Except outside, instead of runway, it was ocean. And I remember that particular day sitting in that solarium, and there was probably about, I don't know, 200 people in there. Everybody was with their family, eating their sandwiches, talking with the people next to them, playing cards, just biding their time as they traveled across the sea. And a storm rolled in. Now, everyone on this boat, we were all familiar with storms. We lived on the ocean. We knew what it was like to have high seas. We knew how to read the water, how to read the waves. But this storm was different than other storms. There was something about it that almost felt, I don't know, ominous. You could feel it in the air. And I remember up on that upper deck, watching waves crash up and hit the windows. I remember the ship going side to side like this and just holding on for dear life because we didn't know what was going to happen. It was probably one of the most terrifying things I've ever experienced in my life. And the violent tension of the, the earth and the skies around us could not compare with the tension in the room because everyone there knew the power of the ocean. They knew the power of the wind, and they knew the danger of being out on a sea. If you've ever been in a position where you felt fear like that, you know that fear has a taste. Adrenaline has almost a metallic taste to it, and you can feel it in your mouth. Often you can feel it rush through your stomach as the, the chemicals from your brain rush through your body to prepare you to try to survive. And you could feel it in the room. It was terrifying. So when I read this passage about a house where a storm comes and it wipes the house away and there's destruction, that's where my mind goes. It goes to this place of utter terror. So these parables that Jesus taught, they're basically word pictures. He uses things that people know and that they understand to explain things that they don't yet understand. And so um, in order to understand this particular one, it's really important that we begin to get a little bit of context. And in this passage, one of the helpful things to do is we're going to look at maybe understanding a little bit more of the topography of Israel. 
Now, Israel is technically a desert environment. Um, it's very dry. But it's not a desert like most deserts that you would understand. There's three primary deserts in Israel, the Negev, the Paran, and the Zin. And these are not deserts that are like big sandy areas. It's not Lawrence of Arabia riding by on a wavy, with a wavy scarf on a camel. This is a very different kind of desert. It's very dry, but it's very rocky. It's very hard. Matter of fact, there's so many rocks in Israel that there's actually very little sand in Israel. Um, there's two basic types of sand. The first is what's considered seashore sand. You'll find it along the Mediterranean. You'll find it along the Dead Sea. Um, and then the second type, type is just sand. It's what they would call maybe desert sand. It's a little bit of a different texture. And when we read this passage, that is the type of sand that is being referenced in this passage. Now, it's important to know that this particular sand is found in one particular area or one type of area in Israel. It's found in what is called a wadi, W-A-D-I. What that means is this. In Israel, it doesn't rain very often. It's very dry. So it really, it rains only about two months out of the year. When it rains, it really rains. And so for the majority of the time, the ground has become very hard, very rock-like. But when it does rain, the water can't seep into the ground. You know it around here. It's probably like the Oahe is very similar to that. So the water begins to flood. And as it does, it rushes south and east towards the Dead Sea. And when it does that, it begins to create these like patterns in the ground. And over thousands of years, the rush of those waters in the rainy season have caused what are called wadis. And wadis are these big cavernous spaces that are almost like hallways in the sand. Or not in the sand, but in the desert. And they're so deep and they're so steep. There are rocks on the sides, rocks in front of you, rocks behind you. They say that when you're in a wadi, you can only see about 150 feet ahead of you because it keeps shifting and turning just like a creek would. So it's really easy to get lost in a wadi. It's very easy to get disoriented in a wadi. The interesting thing is that when the storms come, when the water does come, wadis are what the place where that's known for flash floods. They say that when you're walking in a wadi, um, that if, if it starts raining 50 miles away, it will very quickly, you'll find water racing towards you, even though it's 50 miles away. They say that if you're hiking and it's the rainy season and you say you're going to go towards a, you know, an area that's known for wadis, the locals will tell you, if you hear the sound of a train coming, you have 40 seconds. 40 seconds. That's not enough time to climb a rock wall or to outrun a raging wall of water. As a matter of fact, in Israel, Israeli deserts, the number one cause of death is drowning. It's not heat stroke. It's not sun exposure. It's drowning in the desert. Is that crazy? We know what flash floods are like, but these are like flash floods on steroids. And the interesting thing is these wadis, they're all rock, except at the very bottom, and that's where you find the sand. And so as we're reading this passage, it's important to understand that this is the picture that Jesus is creating for them. In this particular parable, building a house on the sand or on the rock, this is not a parable 
where Jesus is talking about building construction or soil conditions, it's actually a parable about location. The parable says that there's a foolish person. This person has heard what Jesus has taught. He's heard the Sermon on the Mount. He's seen the things that have been done. But the person decides, you know what? Actually, I think I, I, think I figured it out for myself. I think I know a better way. I think I'm going to try my own thing over here. And the person doesn't listen or do what he says, what Jesus has to do. And because of that, the person is building their house or their life in a wadi. What that means is that it might look nice right now. And I'd honestly, I think it'd be great. I don't know why and nobody else is building around you. You've got plenty of space, right? You don't have neighbors peeking in your window, right? That's going to be good. You probably have to land pretty cheap. Insurance might be a little high, but it'd be a great place to build, except for you're, you're going to die. Small detail, right? But Jesus says, when you hear the word that I've taught and you choose not to follow it, you're essentially, you're building your life in a wadi. You're building in a life where there is going to be guaranteed destruction. Not out of penalty, not out of punishment, not because you were you know, a bad person and he's out to get you, because you just chose the wrong location. You chose a space that you know is going to lead you to destruction. Because eventually, maybe not today or tomorrow or next week or in a month, but eventually the rains will come. The rains are going to come. And when they do, you won't be able to stand. The psalmist David even talks about this. He talks about it and he says, God came and he pulled me out of the mire. He pulled me out of the mud and he rescued me and he put my feet up on a rock, up on the bedrock, up on the top. That same mud that's referenced in that is that sand that's below it in the wadi. But often we read this passage and we think, well, yeah, that's super obvious. Why would anybody build in a flash flood spot, right? That doesn't make any sense to me. Of course no one would build in the bottom of a wadi. That's ridiculous. Except what Jesus is saying is not quite that simple. Because Jesus is not teaching about where to build a house. He's teaching us what it looks like to build a life. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he taught things about the way that we should live, the way that we should be in our world, the way our humanity should exist. And he taught things that were absolutely revolutionary to these people. These people were accustomed to the law. They were accustomed to rules and regulations and being under Roman occupation and being under survival for many, many thousands of years. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes in and he teaches things that feel completely backwards, completely counterintuitive, countercultural in those days and in our day today. He challenged their previous ideas of what living a godly life looked like. He said, people, don't hoard your things. Don't be so worried about your bank account and the stuff you have in your garage and all the things you have in your closet because you need to be living for other people. You need to be generous with what you have. Good, small, big, whatever it might be, you share with others because you are to live a life for others. He spoke to their anxieties and their fears, and he told them, don't worry about what the day brings. Don't worry about tomorrow. If I've taken care of the birds and the flowers, don't you think I'm going to take care of you? I've got it. 
You don't have to stress and try to figure out what's going to happen and plan and organize and structure everything because I've got your back. He admonished them not to focus so much on their rights that they overlook the needs and the care of others. They can become very quickly selfish and self-oriented. They don't realize what's happening around them and the impact of their choice and their actions on the world. He called out hypocrites. He told them not to judge others until they dealt with their own sin and faced their own shame. He told them, you don't have to retaliate. No longer an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, because there is a better way to live. There's a better way to restore relationship. His words were mind-boggling. It was so confusing for them. They even began to wonder, does he even believe in the Torah? Does he even believe in the law? Does he know that the way that we live? So that's why he had to say, I'm not here to like abolish the law. That's not my intention. I'm for the Torah. But I'm telling you that what I have just spoken to you, what I have just preached to you, that is what the law should have been. That was what it had meant to be. It was completely revolutionary. It turned their self-righteous thinking inside out. It threw away their justifications and their, their confidence in box ticking and record keeping. It required them to lean deeply into an understanding of a relational God who desires communication, not just following orders. This was a God that wanted restoration with him and restoration with others. It challenged them to live out their lives as though they were the reflections of the light that their heart longed for. And it filled them with a hope, and it turned them upside down. Which is why, when Jesus had finished the Sermon on the Mount, saying all these things that were completely inspiring and breathtaking and confusing and disorienting, when he ended it, Jesus had to end with these words. And he says, I know you've just heard all this, I know it's new for you. You're going to be okay. He says, you're going to have to trust me. You have to trust me. I know all this sounds wild and crazy that I just said, but I'm telling you, if you follow what I've commanded, you do what I've said, you will be building your house on a solid rock. That it doesn't matter what the storm might be, what winds come, what waves rise up, you will not be destroyed. But you've got to listen. You've got to trust me. Listen to me. Do what I ask. Because the storms will come. They will. And when the floodwaters are racing towards you, and they will, when the winds in your life are howling, and they will, you trust me. You trust my words. We have trouble with trust, don't we? Um, maybe you guys don't. I really do. I'm not super fond of trust. It's not a, a great thing. That, well, I'm working on it. We're beyond 50. We still haven't gotten there yet, but got a few years left. We like to take responsibility for our own safety and security. We want to take responsibility for our future and our salvation. We like things we can control, things we can measure, 
Anybody else like spreadsheets? Flowcharts? This girl. I want to know what's happening. I don't want to just rely on what ifs. I don't like this whole trust me business. We like to rely on our good ethics and our good behavior as being the way that we can make it because we know then we can measure it for ourselves. We like to place pressure on others in the relationships we have with them as being our salvation rather than letting God be in charge of it. We trust in our ability to prepare ourselves and to navigate trouble. We trust in our ability to do good things. We follow our own ideas of what the rules should be for ourselves and for others. And often that's two different sets. We believe in self-preservation, self-protection, and we like to pick and choose who we offer grace to. And when we allow ourselves to judge who deserves our generosity and when we will grant forgiveness. We like to cling to our wrongs. And we use them to justify our running away or our anger or paralysis. And when we do these things, we're building our life in the wadis. When we take control of things and we say, we got it, we're building sandcastles. We're anchoring our safety and our security and our stability on factors that will never, ever save us. This way of living, this way of leaning into the rock that we're supposed to, this life of generosity and compassion and grace, it is not easy. It doesn't come just freely. It requires some intentionality. Choosing to build on the rock requires trusting Jesus' words and his teachings and leaning into them. It requires surrounding yourself with people who are pursuing God and who are trying to live lives that align with him. When you're wronged, when you're disappointed, when you're confused, when you're afraid, it requires following his lead. And when you screw it up, and you will, it requires getting back up again and realigning with the rock and re-anchoring yourself to what you know is true and then doing it over and over and over again. None of us get it right the first time or the second or the 12th or the 195th. What it requires is getting back up again and realigning to the anchor and the rock. In this, storm, in this passage, there's a storm that arises. And this, the scripture says that it is the same storm for both houses. The man that built on the rock and the man who built on the sand, they experienced the same wind and the same waves. Here's the difference. It was just their location. Because you see that when you live a life of faith that does not inoculate you, it does not insulate you to trouble, it does not shield you from harm or suffering or struggle, it does not remove you from the experience of living a human life in a fallen world. We all live lives that have joy and happiness and beauty and sorrow and suffering and pain. Struggle does not take a summer vacation. I know it might seem a little weird. 
at the end of July with it being so beautiful out to talk about this. But the truth is, is that whether or not it's sunny outside or it's nice and warm, life is still life. Every single one of us experience hard things, hard times, hard seasons, difficult, painful storms. The problem is that often, especially in seasons like this, when it's so beautiful outside, our mind says, well, wow, everything should be going great. Everybody's going to the river and having a good time. Look at all their Instagram pictures, and this should be amazing. And I'm at home in the fight of my life. And so the dichotomy between those two feels so counterintuitive. It is so much more deeply painful, especially in seasons when the sun is shining. The nature of living in a fallen world is that we all, all face hard times. Maybe it's the phone call you got from your kid's school. They keep getting bullied. And you don't know what to do, and it just breaks your heart. Or maybe the call says that they've gone off the rails again, and you don't know how to calm them or keep them in a place that feels stable or strong. Maybe your storm is a diagnosis that has rocked your world and knocks the breath out of you. Maybe it's economic. I know there's people in this room that are suffering from storms that are addictions, physical, sexual, chemical, whatever it might be. And you can't seem to keep consistently dragging yourself out of it. You're in a storm. Maybe you found yourself in the middle of your life now. You're just beginning to wrestle with the harms and traumas of your childhood. You're in a storm. Whether it's society, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, all our storms. It's just a reality of our lives. They will come. They will come. If you aren't in a storm right now, I'm very happy for you. You will be, right? And that's not me being a Debbie Downer. That's just saying, hey, that's, that's the nature of life. That's, that's humanity. That's the way we live. We're either walking out of a storm, we're headed into one, or we're smack dab in the middle of one. That's reality. The question is, where will you be anchored? Where have you placed your trust? What's really cool about this passage is Jesus tells us this little parable, and then one chapter later, they get to experience what he's talking about. So a chapter later, Jesus has left the sermon on the mount. He's left the mount, and he's gone through the communities, and he's done some healings, and next he finds himself on the sea with the disciples. And he's wiped out. And so the scripture says he falls into a great sleep. And I just have to say, to me, just a great sleep in my 50s, I feel like that's a miracle. <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> Jesus reigns, right? right? So he falls into a great sleep. And the storms around begin to blow. And the scripture says that there is winds and waves and the disciples are going wild trying to figure out what, what, what do we do? What do we do? Like, like there's water coming in the boat and all of a sudden I, I can't see the shore because the, the clouds have come in and now I see lightning and we're in this violent storm. And, and what do we do with this? And they turn around, they look for Jesus and Jesus is asleep. He's asleep in my storm. I don't know about you, but I've, I've been in storms where I felt like he was asleep. 
how can you sleep in the middle of a storm, Jesus? Like, are you not aware? Can you not see what's going on? And so they begin to call out to him and they say, Jesus, help us, Jesus. I imagine he just kind of yawns. Rubs the sleep out of his eyes and he says, what? What's going on? What's going on? (laughs) Can you not see? Can you not see the water coming into our boat? Can you not see that we can no longer find our way through the sea? Can you not see that the wind is throwing us off course? And Jesus, he looks at the wind and the waves and then he looks at the disciples and he says, why are you afraid? Are you kidding me? Why are we afraid? He says, where is your faith? Where have you anchored your trust? Where have you placed all the things that you hope for? So then Jesus, he turns, and I love this. He, he looks at the wind, and he looks at the waves, and he just says, be still. Be still. I imagine the wind and the waves were talking to each other. They said, did you hear that? Did you hear that voice? That was creator. That was the creator. And in awe, the winds and the waves bow down and the sea is calm. Just two words. Be still. Enough. Peace. And the disciples had been following him for quite some time. They had seen him before miracles. They had heard his sermon. And yet, for some reason, this felt different than before. And so they say, who is this? Who is this one who can speak to the winds and the waves and they listen to him? Who, who is this? You will go through storms in your life and people will tell you that it's for a greater good. People will tell you it's because it's bringing something out in you or it's opening up a door or it's creating some new avenue or opportunity for you. And I, I don't know that that's true. That hasn't been my experience. Storms come because storms come. But if there's anything that you learn in a storm, it is this. You learn the answer to who is this? Who is this man? He's the one who can calm the storm. Who is this? He's the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who speaks in planets and stars align. Who is this one? He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. He is the one who speaks and and people are healed and eyes are open and dead people walk. And who is this one? He's compassionate and tender and caring like a lamb. And he roars with the ferocity and the power of a lion. 
Who is this man? This is a man who speaks to death and death obeys. He speaks to life and life comes forth. This is the one who has the power of all of heaven and all of earth in his fingertips. This is who he is. Who is this man? He's the man who can walk into your home and transform your relationships. Who is this man? He, this is the man who could come into your addictions and say, no, 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 no. You have the ability to live a different life, and I'm going to show you the way to walk through it. Who is this man? This is the man who can heal the sick. This is the man who can come to you and say, I am going to show you that there is a new way for life. You trust me. You trust me. Trust me. When I was 13 in that storm, the thing that was the most powerful to me wasn't actually the violent storm outside the windows. Although that was terrifying. What I really remember was this. We were in that solarium and about 200 people scattered around. In the middle, just to the left, sat my mom and my dad and my little sister and my little brother. I know exactly where they were because I was 13 and wasn't sitting with them. <laughs> Too cool for school. And as I watched that room from the edges, I could see the fear on people's faces. You could see the mamas crying silent tears and the babies screaming and the kids that were confused and the dads were just feeling helpless and didn't know what, what was next. You could feel the tangible fear. And as I watched, my mom, it's a little quiet woman, unassuming, doesn't like to get a lot of attention. She doesn't go out of her way to tell everybody what they should or shouldn't do. But she knows where she's anchored. She has a connection to the rock. And as I watched, I began to see some familiar movements in her. She kind of does this little thing when she prays sometimes. She'll move her head, kind of like a little bob. It's like a little prayer jig, maybe. Right? She starts doing this. She gets a little flush. I get a little flush, too. I get that from her. And I begin to hear her over the cries. And she began to connect with the rock. She began to say, my Jesus. Oh, my Jesus. God, you created the heavens and the earth, and they bow to you. And right now, I'm calling on your power to calm this storm. God, I speak peace into this room that no matter what happens around me, God, I know, I know that you can bring something out of this. God, you can, you can heal, you can heal the, the, the waves, the storm, whatever is happening. You can transform this. And as I began to hear her pray, people around her began to hear her pray as well. And I started seeing people that would kind of just kind of do a little with their seats. The captain had got on board and he had said the barometer dropped out of sight. We weren't supposed to get up and move. I actually had seen one village wiped out by waves. 
there was another spot where there was massive docks, like what a cruise ship would line up to. And the wind just, or the storms, the waves just picked up those concrete pilings and threw them up like they were just nothing. In the middle of this storm, people begin to like, get a little closer to that little lady. Because we don't know what's going on outside, but we can feel something happening inside. This is, what hap- this is what happens when you've built your life in a place that you know is solid and sure and stable. It doesn't matter what comes on. It doesn't matter what happens around you. Whatever the storms might be in your life, you know where the rock is. And you can go to that rock and you can hold on and you can say, this is where I find my safety and security. This is where I find my identity. This is where I find my healing. This is where I belong. And as she did that, The wind still continued, but there was a palpable peace that entered into the room. You could feel the tension begin to just dissipate. It was like a giant exhale as God breathed into the space. And as the band will come up, I want you to know that whatever your life may be experiencing, whatever storm you have going on, There's a rock for you. There's a rock for you. And all it takes is realigning with what he says and saying, okay, I'm going to trust you in this. I'm going to trust you in this. We will all experience something because we're all flying through the sky on a spinning planet and no one rides for free. We all experience it. And so maybe your storm is very loud and chaotic And everyone around you knows you're going through it. Everyone around you can see the cows flying by and the branches falling down. Maybe your storm is a deep silence. Maybe your storm is darkness. You have found yourself in a pit that feels so dark and so deep, you can't remember what it looks like upon the surface. Whatever your storm may be, he's your rock. He is your rock. If you barely made it here today, I'm glad you made it. If it took everything in you to wake up and put your clothes on and walk into the doors and you're hoping nobody sees you, And if one greeter is just a little too cheery, you're going to throat punch them. (laughs) Feels like me. I'm glad you're here. Because this is where you find your shelter from the storm. You are in a room full of people who know what it's like to walk through horrendous experiences, storms, seasons, You're in the right space. We get you. You're also in a room with people who want to consistently re-anchor to the rock and re-anchor and say, this is where I'm going to live my life. And no matter what comes, no matter if it makes sense, if it's crazy, if I understand it, if I don't, if I'm disoriented, if I'm clear, I am going to hold on to this rock because this is where I want to build my life. So my question to you is this. Who are you anchored to?
where are you building your life? If you will stand with me for a moment. If you're in the middle of a storm right now, we're going to pray in a minute. And I want you to pray over yourself. You don't have to repeat my words. My words are pretty weird. Pray your own words. Because your storm is different than my storm. So you speak to the things that you've seen rise up in your own life. If you're new to this faith thing and you're just trying this out, I'm really glad you're here. You don't have to understand it all or buy into it all. You just have to know this. That whatever chaos is going on, there is refuge for you. Because he rescues. He restores. He redeems us. He still speaks and commands the waves. And he still calms the winds. And he will either silence your storm or he will enter it with you. But either way, you will not be alone. Because he wants to be your rock. He wants to be your anchor. And when the waves blow, shores crashing up against you, when the winds are howling, it will not take you out because he's your rock. He wants to be your rock. Lord, I thank you. I thank you first for the way that you taught those messages on the Sermon on the Mount. You call us to a higher way of living and a higher way of being. As simple as it sounds, it is not easy. And so I thank you that you are giving us the chance to live the life that our hearts long for. And Lord, I also thank you that you have given us this promise. That if we hear your words and we do them and we align ourselves with you, we are building our life on bedrock out of the way of a raging storm, out of the way of floodwaters that will take us out. And so God, I pray right now that whatever is going on in people's lives, whatever situation is, is rising up in their home, in their work, in their families, in their world, God, that you begin to blow your peace into those spaces, that you begin to steal their mind, you calm their nerves. You lift them up out of the darkness. Scripture says that he is a light that speaks light in the darkness, and the darkness can't stand it. God, I pray that your light just pierces through those storms. I thank you for your promise. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for letting us try over and over again to realign with you. In your name, God, be with us. Walk with us. Enter our storm with us. Amen. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.celebration.church. 
to find out more. We love you guys, and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.